Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jamie, and we have a great show in store for you today. I sat down and chat with a new friend, Joby Martin. He's a pastor of the Church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida, and he had a book that came out earlier in the year called If the Tomb is Empty, and I saw this book and, and was able to read it and thought, man, what a great conversation to have the Wednesday after Easter. So last Friday, we had uh, Dr. Joel Mutamali on, and we talked about Jesus' crucifixion and what that means and how that is important for our faith. And a lot of you probably attended church on Sunday. It was Easter Sunday. You maybe got a new dress or it had an Easter egg, kind of got your kids an Easter basket. But there is this reality that our foundation to our faith as Christians, it really rests on that Sunday, on the tomb being empty. It changed everything for us. And so I knew I wanted to talk to someone about this conversation, and Joby was perfect for that. So we talk a lot today about if the tomb is empty, what that means for us. And and I'll spoil the lead here. It means anything is possible. So we have that conversation about the spirit within us. We talk about not believing our feelings over what we know is true. We talk about how do we fight uh, those feelings of unbelief and feeling unworthy. And at the end, Joby tells a phenomenal story, uh, really about how our faith can change everything uh, in our life and in those around us. So today's going to be a really great show. You guys, if you are listening to this podcast and you're enjoying it, we would really love it if you would give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You see those ratings and reviews, they help more people find the show. And listen, today's show is full of the gospel. And I want as many people listening to the shows, all of our shows, because all of our shows are based in truth and faith and Jesus. But man, today is extra special, really talking about the hope that we have in a risen Savior of Jesus. And so would you go wherever you listen and give us, uh, we'll take five stars if you're willing, and give us a review so that more people can find our show. Again, you guys, I got a special song for us at the end of this episode. I did that on Friday. I've got another one from you today. And this song follows up the song from Friday. Friday, the song that we shared with you was all about the crucifixion. And this is all about the Sunday, the resurrection, what it means for us. And so stay tuned to the end for that song. All right, here's my conversation with Joby Martin. Joby, welcome to the happy hour. It's good to be here. I love the name. Isn't it a great name? It really, yeah, very appealing. Do you mean it? You didn't ask, but do you mean to tell you why I named it that? I would love to hear it. Okay. So when I started this podcast uh, almost eight years ago, I think, whatever 2014 was ago, I was like, you know what? I want to make a show that is really just a replicate of what. I would do at a happy hour with my girlfriends. And I don't know what a happy hour looks like for you, Joby, but for me, when my girlfriends and I get together, we talk about anything and everything, like anything. Like we might talk about a book we're reading, a TV show we're watching, what we read in Romans chapter eight, or some genes we love, or marriage or parenting, whatever. And so I'm like, let's make this show. And also, Joby, I don't know if you know this, for years and years and years, I only had women on. And so I have just started having men on since 2020. I heard that because I... <laughs> I think all the women on staff at our church are huge fans. And in their eyes, this is the biggest thing I've ever done. Ever, ever, ever. So <laughs> they're like, freaking out. I preach every Sunday. I run this organization. <laughs> I write books. <laughs> this is the best yeah. thing I could ever do. 
in their mind, this is it. I have arrived. The Shekinah glory is falling upon me in this moment. <laughs> well, hello to all of the women workers at 1122. I'm so glad you let me talk to your pastor. <laughs> um, uh, seriously, welcome, welcome. And I just gave you the backstory of the happy hour. But would you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, I'm Pastor Joby Martin. I planted a church back, back in 2012 called the Church of 1122. I'm a total accidental church planner. I didn't mean to. I was minding my business as a youth pastor. And then we started a service at our church and I'm not very creative. So it started at 1122 on Sunday morning. So that's what we call it so that people would know when to show up. And long story short, the that service outgrew our church. And then my pastor, Jerry Sweat, who's the best Christian I've ever met in my entire life, said, I think you should plant a church. And so we did. I didn't even know planting churches was a thing. And, and so You're like, I I'm just trying it. to tell kids about Jesus. And here That's, I am. And now 10 years later, I'm still doing the same thing. Just trying to tell people about Jesus. I've been married for 20 years to Gretchen, uh, two kids, a 16 year old son named JP and a 12 year old daughter named Reagan Capri. So pray for me. I have two, <laughs> a high schooler and a middle schooler. I, I, I one up you, Joe. We have three high schoolers and a middle schooler. So listen, it, wow. is, it is a crazy town around here. Now, okay, you have a 16-year-old son. I have two 16-year-old boys. Um, and is he driving? He is. Okay, so I always say with when my first son started driving, it was like the scariest thing. And then a couple weeks later, I really woke up and I'm like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to our entire family. Where are <laughs> no you doubt, on man. that? Where are you on that right now? I'm in the best thing. He's, uh, <laughs> as far as driving goes, he's relatively responsible. There are other areas, okay. maybe not so much, but he's, <laughs> he's a pretty good driver. But for sure, okay. man, to, he and his sister go to the same school. So that in yep. and of itself, just like me and mama don't have to do car pickup anymore. Praise God. Yep. Whatever the risk oh is, is worth it just for that. Listen, I was the same way. And then my other two started driving and I think I worried for like a day and a half. And I'm like, you know what? They're fine. I When my daughter finally starts driving, we always joke, she's the baby. She's the last one. All the boys are going to be gone. We always joke, we're going to get her like a brand new car. She's going to be living the life of like an only child. And sorry, Four, boys, that's what happens. Yeah, man. No, same here, man. I've got a 12 year old girl and being a girl dad is the coolest thing ever. And I've told her, whatever you want, as long as you just keep <laughs> loving on me like you do, baby, I'll give you whatever you want. JP's like, Girls. that's not fair. Like, dude, fairness is not a biblical value. So you can there hush. You go. Darling, you get what you want. There you go. You know what, Joby? This is so funny. I had a girlfriend who, when her kids used to say, that's not fair. You know what she'd say? This will segue into our conversation. She would go, you know what's not fair, little Johnny or whoever, whatever her name is? You know what's not fair? Is that Jesus had to die on the cross for your sin. That's not fair. And I was like, you no said doubt. that? And she's like, yeah, I'm going to tell him what fair is not. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want that's fair. It. No, we don't want fair. Well, welcome to the show. Um, we have some mutual friends, and they had told me that you were their pastor when they lived in Florida, and they have just spoken so highly of you, and I adore them, and we got a book of yours in the mail. And right now, today, that people are listening to this live, it's the Wednesday after Easter. And so the thing about Easter, Joby, you can probably talk to this more as a, as a pastor and a leader of a church. The thing about Easter is that no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord— a lot of times people just feel like it's an American thing to do, uh, to to go to church on Easter. Like we just show up on Easter. Do you think you have more people like that on Easter or like Christmas Eve? Man, that's tough. I mean, we're, we are in the South, South, South. So I think it's probably Easter. Yeah, yeah I, think I was going to guess Easter. Easter. Yeah, get yeah. a new dress, go to church, go eat, have an egg hunt and call it a day. Um, 
But for our, for those who are followers of Jesus, Easter really is this foundation of our faith. We've got the crucifixion on Friday, which if you guys listened last week, Joel Metamali was on talking about the crucifixion. And then and then we had, you know, the resurrection, which is really what our faith is built on, is the fact that, that our God did not stay dead. Um, and so I want to talk to you about really what it means for us, um, not only just as people, but as followers of Jesus, that the fact that Jesus did um, come alive again. It's like it's foundational because no other God, no other person, this is not their story. And and not even just like raised from the dead like Lazarus, and you can talk about this more, but like stayed alive. And so you have this new book that just came out called If the Tomb is Empty, Why the Resurrection Means Anything is Possible. And so really, what does that resurrection mean for us as believers? Yeah, like you said, the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. I mean, Paul says, basically, he says, if Jesus did not come out of the grave, then we're all fools and wasting our time. Right. And uh, I, I think that the average church-going Easter attendee probably believes half of the gospel. Like if, if you were to ask your average church person, if you were to die tonight, you're standing before Jesus, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? Most people will say, because you died on the cross for my sins, which is true. He did die on the cross for our sins. But it doesn't end there, because if all he did is wipe the slate clean, then what is implicit in that is then, now, therefore, you've got a second chance and you better do better this next time. Oh, so it, good, would, yeah. it would be like if you if you had an immense amount of debt and you went to the bank and you were like, I'm so sorry, I, I can never pay this debt. And the president of the bank said, well, because of my grace and mercy, I'm going to cancel your debt. That would you would love him. You would be grateful. But if that's all he did, you would leave the bank broke and you would have to go mm. to work. Oh, that's but good. When, when Christ comes out of the grave. What we understand is that now he is alive. He is at the right hand of God, the father interceding for us. And we are imputed with his righteousness that God made him who was without sin to be sin, that we would be made the righteousness of God. So back to the bank analogy, it would be like you go to the bank president and say, I can't pay this debt. And not only does he forgive you, but he adopts you and hands you the debit card to the bank and say, everything I have is yours. Mm -hmm. That's the gospel that we should live lives like Jesus is alive and has imputed us with his righteousness. And so when God sees us, he's not angry with us. He's not mad at us. He's mm. not frustrated with us. John says, this is love, not that we love him, but he loved us and sent his son as the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation means a payment that satisfies, satisfies the law of God, the justice of God, the wrath of God. That means that if Christ is in you, and Jesus fully satisfied the wrath, law, judgment of God. God cannot be dissatisfied in you. Mm, so we just talked about it. It's just so true. Here's why I think we think that God's frustrated with us. Yeah. Because he's our do. father. Yes. Yeah. We have kids and they're so uh -huh. stinking frustrating. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we, I think that God looks at me and he loves me and I get to go to heaven and he'll love me once I get there and I'm glorified. But right now he's disappointed. Mm. but he can't be because you're disappointed when you're surprised. You expected one thing and you experienced something else. And he knew exactly what he was getting when he called us and purchased us and he paid full price. And so he knows you, he loves you. He delights over you. He dances over you. That's, that's why the, the empty tomb matters. 
It's such good news. And, you know, as much as it is good news, I remember when I started following Jesus. And, and I, Joby, grew up going to church my whole life. So I knew all the rules. I was in Bible drill. I knew where to find all the scriptures. I had stuff memorized. Like, I was just a, a good girl who would have called herself a Christian but had not surrendered to following Jesus. So mm. when I did surrender to follow him, I just brought a lot of baggage to the table. I had lived with in a lot of sinful things, a lot of underage drunkardness and not that drunkenness of age is good. I just was drinking a lot underage, um, sexual activity. Just, I brought a lot to the table. And I tell you, I remember when I would hear pastors or teachers or mentors or anyone say what you just said to me, I would think, okay, that sounds good. I think it's true. I just don't feel it. I just don't mm. feel it. And so what do you say when we're walking around as people who kind of believe our feelings more than what God's word says, um, because everything you said is true. We don't always feel that way. Yeah. Feelings are an incredible tool of God to navigate this thing we call life. There are no bad feelings. They're just, they just make terrible gods and terrible mm -hmm. decision makers. And so basically, Jamie, what you're describing there is what I call the whispers from the enemy. Mm. And so I think that the, and I, talk about this in one of the chapters, um, the mountain of temptation chapter that the war against the enemy and his war against you is primarily a war of the mind because he's already defeated. I mean, the Bible says that he has been defanged and declawed and his accusations have been nailed to the cross in revelation 13. I think it describes the enemy as a dragon with a mortal head wound. So bro, it's over for him, right? Mm -hmm. However, in the meantime, which means he can't just like when we think warfare, I think our mind today, our mind goes to Ukraine, Russia. Right. That's not how the enemy attacks us, because he can't just mount up and say, go get them, boys, mm -hmm. because we'll crush them. He's already been crushed. This is why you don't often see, you know, these manifestations of the devil like coming after you that way, just like. Many people that want to take out America today, they can't just load up on the Atlantic Ocean and say, let's go get them because we would just squish them. Mm -hmm. So there are countries and ideologies and groups that want to take us out. And so so it's a dirty war. It's a misinformation campaign. We've all found out that there are, you know, bot farms in Russia that are putting stuff in our Twitter feed to try to get us to all hate each other. Like th this Surprise, is how guys. <laughs> correct. This is how we are yeah. attacked these days. This is how the enemy attacks us. So the way the enemy attacks us, he can't because he is already defeated by what Christ has done on the cross. He can't just line up against the believer and say, I'm taking you out head to head. So it's a war of the mind. It's a dirty war campaign. It's a misinformation campaign. He's been doing this since Genesis chapter three. He goes to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say? He wants us to question the work of God, the word of God, the worthiness of God. And when you say that even though you know God, your father delights over you, you don't feel it. It's because the enemy whispers these lies of condemnation. And then we have a tendency to believe him because he's really good at it. I mean, think about this. The devil is such a good liar. He convinced one third of the angels to follow him to help. And so that's the whisper I deal with more than anything else too, particularly on Thursdays and Sundays before I stand up in front of our church to preach. I, I, um, I did not grow up in church and, and I did have done some really, really awful things. 
And I know that I'm forgiven of them. But what the enemy does, man, he whispers. And again, especially on Thursday and Sunday, if these people knew, they wouldn't listen to you. Who do you think you are to think you can stand up and preach? And, and that's just condemnation. Condemned is a building term. It means unfit for use. That's what he's saying to you. Because of what you've done, you're unfit for use. And then Romans says, but therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, Jesus looks at that same building, you, and says, that, that building's not unfit for use. In fact, I'm going to move in, and you are literally going to be the temple, the permanent address of God on this planet. That's what a big deal you are to him. And so what do you do when you don't feel it? Here's what I think you should do. You should do what Jesus did in the wilderness when he's being tempted. He had some it is written's that he immediately went to to fight against the attack of the enemy. Paul says in Romans 12 that we should not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Well, the way you renew your mind is you identify the lie, take off the old and put on new, which is the truth of the word of God. And over time, not necessarily overnight, but over time, you ask God to help your feelings line up with the truth of God's word. It's so good. I remember I was in a Bible study one time and I had a friend who we were talking about this kind of believing what is not true about ourselves and, and kind of believing the lies. And it was a great conversation. And And she pulled out of her purse these like ratty looking note cards and she had them on a little like binder clip. And on one side, she had written the lie, you know, like. I am not worthy or whatever name the lie that comes to you. And she would written on yeah. the, and on the back, she had written a scripture of that is true. And then a prayer to God and kind of reframing it. And those cards, they look like they've been worn. And the reason they had been worn mm. is because she was doing exactly what you just said is that she was constantly consistently reminding herself is what is true. And, um, my friend Jenny Allen wrote a book, Get Out of uh, Get Out of Your Head. But we just had a conversation about this recently about how we've been given the tools like we can fight this like he cannot take us. He, we are not his. The devil doesn't have ownership Correct. over us and he doesn't have ownership Correct. over any part of our body. And so just knowing like God has given us the tools and the gifts that we need to fight it. And one of those is like being in his word and knowing his word and clinging to that. Now, something that we um, that we read about and then we know, uh, which, again, does not always feel true. But we 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 sometimes have to not we don't trust our feelings are just indicators. But there's this idea that like you just mentioned that 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 we have the indwelling of God within us. You know, Jesus leaves and he leaves and tells his disciples, he says, I'm going to send a helper. And so we know we have the spirit of God in us. And we have scripture says the same spirit in us that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. Now, Joby, I have never raised anyone from the dead. I had never healed anyone's lame legs. I have never given anyone sight. And so talk to us a little bit about what it means to um, to have that spirit in us and what it does for our life. Have you ever led anyone to Christ? Yes. <laughs> that is an infinitely greater miracle because all the miracles that you mentioned are all temporary. Yeah. And the only eternal miracle is salvation. I set you up for that one because don't you talk about, about how the, the blind man eventually did stop seeing again? Yeah, he died. He died. Yeah, Lazarus he died. died again. The lame man, dead people can't walk. So he died and couldn't walk. All those things. In fact, in the book of John, they're all called signs because the point, Jesus wasn't just like, you know, God flexing to just prove his power. It was all pointing to what a face-to-face -face relationship would be with like, be with him like forever and ever and ever. 
They were all signs pointing to something greater. The primary evidence of a work of the Spirit, at least according to Acts, is evangelism. People get saved, not just signs and wonders. But we can believe for miracles because the tomb is empty. I mean, if he pulled off the greatest miracle of all time, that God dies and they bury him for three days. And then three days later, he is resurrected from the grave. Then surely we can pray for healing. And surely Mm. we can pray for a marriage to be resurrected. In fact, that's where the, that's where the the title came from. And the phrase that we use at our church all the time came from people would come to me and say, pastor, I am in an impossible situation. My marriage is dead. Mm. And I would say, well, you, you believe that Christ came out of the grave, right? And they're like, of course I do. I go, all right. And then one day it just fell out of my mouth. I said, all right, well, if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. If God can breathe new life into his dead son, surely he can breathe new life into this marriage. Mm. And so it just became a phrase that we hang on to at 1122. If the tomb is empty, anything is possible. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. I know you've done some work in in prisons around where you are, and I got the joy with our mutual friend to serve in a... um, ministry at a a county jail here. It wasn't a prison. And I remember so many times like really believing for these women, because that is an unfortunate situation that that a lot of people Mm -hmm. will never experience of being um, really behind bars. You cannot leave. You don't have freedom, all the things. Really believing for these women. If you are a follower of Jesus and you believe that he died and he rose again and he was the penalty for your sin and all these things, you believe these things. 
me having to believe for them that that power in you, you have the power to, for them, it might have been overcome an addiction, or you have the power to change your mind, or you have the power to do these things. And I think sometimes there's this idea of community. And, and I saw that there in the jail. And I see it in my personal life today of like, so many times there's this idea. And I would imagine you guys had this at your church too, where we're spending a lot of our time in a very good, healthy way, reminding our loved ones about the power that they have within them. And so I think that's an encouragement as people are listening that they might be thinking either they feel like they can't overcome something or they're walking along some someone who feels like they can't overcome anything. It's like that reminder of the gospel and what is true is so very powerful. Yeah. And he has already overcome. We've just got to join him in the overcoming. And what I, man, in the book, I think it's chapter six, uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain of transfiguration, which is, I mean, how cool would that be? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and Peter, I mean, Jesus is talking to Moses who's been dead for 1400 years and Elijah who's been, well, he didn't die. He just like took off for heaven 900 years ago. And literally what's happening on that mountain, Paul says it this way in Romans three, the law, Moses and the prophets, Elijah are bearing witness to a manifested righteousness, Jesus. Mm -hmm. That is what is happening. Like the personification of the Bible is happening on the top of this mountain of transfiguration. And Jesus' face is like lightning, like sun. And then Peter sticks his dumb head in there and says, it is good that we are here. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, maybe it's not about you right now. Maybe you should Thank goodness you brought us with you. Yes. (laughs) Right, right, right. And then you remember, he wants to stay there. He's like, let's do tents, man. I can make a tent for everybody. And God the Father shows up and basically in Hebrew says, shut up. He says, behold, my son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him, which means you stop talking, you listen to him. And then Jesus is saying, uh, we're not staying here. Because meanwhile, if you just keep reading in Mark chapter nine, down at the bottom of that hill is a dad with a sick son. And if you just sit and soak in the glory of God up on the mountaintop, you miss out all the ministry, man, because we were sent on mission for the least of these that need him. And then if you'll remember the prayer of the dad, it's, it's kind of everybody's favorite prayer in the Bible. He comes to him. He's like, I brought my son, but your disciples couldn't heal him because they're arguing about some denominational battle, which kind of reminds me of the church right now. There are hurting people. And then you got all over the Internet, different styles of churches just fighting with each other about who's not doing it right. Meanwhile, these people are demon possessed and sick and dying. Mm. And so Jesus says, so bring him to me and the dad and. And again, man, you can't, if you grew up in church, I hate to use the word story because I don't want you to think like flannel graph or veggie mm-hmm. tales. This is a dude, man, with a first name and a job. And he's got friends and a boy who has a first name. Mm-hmm. And he says he, he's in a completely desperate situation. I, I'm sure they've tried everything. In fact, Jesus says, how long has this been happening to him? And he says from childhood, not birth. There's Greek words for birth. It's not birth. This means when him and his, him and his wife brought the little boy home from the hospital, Everything was fine for a while. Mm. And then one day they were like, something's off. And at this point in his life, the dad says demons try to throw him into fire and throw him into the water. Now think about it. They live on the Sea of Galilee and all the food is cooked over open fire. Mm. In other words, the enemy is trying to kill him every step he takes every day and take my boy away from me. And this dad is like, I mean, this is real. Mm -hmm. And so he says to Jesus, if you can. Will you have compassion and help us? Look, you know this, mama. Ain't no pain like kid pain. Mm-hmm. 
That's what that dad's going through. And Jesus says, if I can't, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately he cried out. This is not an unspoken prayer request in your little small group, right? Immediately he cried, he yells out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yeah. And that's where Jesus meets him. The tiny, his feelings were like, I don't know if you can do anything or not. I'm not sure. I, I don't have, you know, I, I don't know what to do. We've tried everything else, but I've heard you can do miracles and I want to believe and I'm trying to believe. But when I look at my son, the mountain of circumstantial unbelief is huge. And I got barely just enough belief to show up here and ask you if you'll help. Mm. And Jesus's response is not. I tell you what, why don't you go work on your faith? And when you get your faith up to miracle level, then come back. And, that's not what he does, man. Yeah. He heals the dude's son. He cast out the demon right there in that moment. So to the person whose feelings tend to be overwhelming them right now, it is a totally okay prayer to say, Jesus, I, I believe, I really do. And I'm really trying to, and I really want to. And usually like midway through a church service, man, I'm believing real good. Yeah. But then by Tuesday, when I look at my circumstances and I still have cancer, or he still left me, or I'm not sure how I'm going to pay the bills, or whatever that thing is, or you've got kid pain. When I look at that, man, I got a whole bunch of unbelief. So Jesus, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Mm. And then when the disciples asked him, they said, how come we couldn't cast him out? He says, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. You see, the disciples were just kind of trying to like mimic the actions of Jesus and they were not plugged into the power that resides in him. And then he goes on to say this, for if you've got the faith the side of, of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, that mountain of disbelief, those mountains of feelings, the mountains of your circumstances, move. And they have to. So a tiny, itty-bitty little bit of faith and an ever-loving, promise-keeping God is infinitely more powerful than putting all of your hopes and dreams and faith in the changing circumstances of our world. That's mm -hmm. what faith is. That is such good news. It is such good news, and it is just this reminder that um, sometimes we do come to God with the, if you can, like I do believe, just help me. And the good news is like you talked earlier, like God is not upstairs, whatever that actually means. God is not, no, God is not disappointed. He's not thinking like, huh, here we go again. God is right. so faithful to us. Now I read a story in your book about, um, a little girl who, um, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to mess up some stuff here and, and stop me when, when you understand which girl I'm talking about, who was in the hospital. And had yeah. gotten saved a couple of days earlier. And yeah. I, this, the story in your book reminded me a little bit of what you just talked about just now, but I, I would want to know if you'd be okay sharing that story with us. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, there's a 15 year old girl named Mackenzie Wilson and God had given her all the cool points. She was like, she was the thing in high school. She was a cheerleader and an athlete and super smart and super cute and super popular and her parents were like mega loaded kind of people and all the, all the things, man. And they grew up in a really traditional denominational church and um, none of them knew the Lord. And so she and her friends started attending 1122. And then eventually she got her parents to come to 1122. 
And one day, I've never done this before. I usually am like a verse by verse, big chunks of scripture guy. And I'd gotten a tattoo on my arm um, to commemorate the guy that led me to Christ. And um, it's of Acts eleven twenty four, which says, and he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And in the kingdom, a great number is just one more. Mm -hmm. So we've never tried to be a big church. We just try to reach one more person. And so I shared that and then gave a salvation invitation. And later, her dad told me her her family was in that service with her together. And they were all holding hands at the end. And she let go of her dad's hand to raise her hand to say, I surrender to Jesus. And in her Bible, over Mark eleven twenty two, 22, she wrote these words. I want to make my faith public. And then she wrote down two or three reasons that she thought, like, she was like, I'm afraid of what my friends will think. And what about the, you know, a couple of things that would make a lot of sense for a 15 year old girl to write. Yeah. Four weeks later, they, she has a fever and they thought it was like strep or something. And uh, it turns out she has this rare brain disease and she is in the hospital. She has a seizure in her bed. Her mom just happened to be checking on her in the middle of the night, saw her to the hospital. So now, <clears throat> I get this call that there's this high school kid that goes to our church in the hospital. And I was like, well, I'll go see her. I don't know her. I don't know her family. None of these things. And I'm, uh, I was leaving church and I was heading to the hospital and one of my worship pastors, who's one of my best friends on the planet. And he's just a little more like dialed into the nudges of the spirit of God, more than normal human beings that are following Jesus are. And he just says, his name is Ben Williams. He goes, I'm supposed to come with you. I'm like, all right, cool. So we get up, we're heading to the hospital and you've done ministry for a long time, right? You've been in the hospital a hundred million times. You don't know what you're walking into, but you, we just think it's another Sunday. So we're, we're real honestly, we're just kind of goofing around in the truck. We get to the hospital, we get on the, she's in Wilson's children's hospital. We get in the elevator, we get to the top and I don't know, there's, 400 high school kids all over the lobby of the hospital. And I remember when the elevator doors open, it's super loud. All the hand, all the heads turn to me and Ben. it gets super quiet. And I see one kid's lips. He mouths this to another kid. They're here as if we're just going to walk in and do miracles, you know, immediately somebody gives me the download of what's happening. This girl's name's McKenzie. Her dad works at a bank. So at that moment, I realized the gravity of the situation. We go through a set of doors. The dad of McKenzie comes peeling out of the out of the hospital rooms. He runs right up to me. He's got a one of the Bibles that we give out for free. And, and he says, I've been listening to you for weeks. I need you to listen to me. He tells me the salvation story of his daughter that four weeks before that, she had surrendered her life to Christ. And then I, I walk into the room and her mom is laying in the bed with her. And she's all hooked up to this stuff. And at that point, <clears throat> I had a one-year-old little blonde-headed, beautiful girl in my house. And I just couldn't hold it together, man. And I was like, I am so sorry. I know you guys expected me to say wise words, but I'm just so sorry. I just held hands with them and cried for hours and hours and hours. We just cried. Then I came back the next day and my wife came with me. And um, I shared the gospel with her parents and her her parents surrendered their life to Christ right there in the mm. hospital room. And then four days later, Mackenzie passed away. And um, her time of death was 1122. You just can't make this kind of stuff up. 
And then her mom, Steph, said, um, my wife Gretchen is one of our worship leaders, and she said that Gretchen was one of her favorite singers, and so she wanted her to sing at her service, and she just wanted the service to be 1122. And she asked me, she said, can you be funny? I was like, I don't, I don't think so, but I'll, you know, I'll try. <laughs> and, uh, and so we did the service. Well, her dad didn't just like work at a bank. He was the president of Everbank, and the Jag Stadium had just been named <laughs> after his bank, and Super influential family. Wow. And um, I, I mean, most of the, I think 1,700 people came to the funeral and her mom said, you know, the thing you do at the end of service where you say, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, then let him know by raising your hand. I want you to do that at the funeral. And so I just preached the gospel mm -hmm. through her Bible. I just, I just said, you know, Mackenzie wanted to make her faith public and this is what she believed. And I just went through places in her Bible where she had been taking notes from the sermons for the previous week. And 175 people surrendered their life to Christ that day. And her family, um, again, man, they're, they're a very influential group of people and they've leveraged it to, um, to basically be the, the answer to that prayer to make McKenzie's faith public. They started a foundation. They've now joined with the boys and girls club and, they're opening boys and girls, McKenzie's boys and girls clubs all over Northeast Florida. They built an orphanage with our missionaries in Uganda. They built churches and boys and girls clubs down in Panama, all because of the life and legacy of McKenzie Wilson. It's crazy. I don't, I don't, I never had a conversation with her. That's so crazy. And that little girl's life has impacted me as much as anything. Man, and I mean, and it's just, I mean, it goes back to what our whole conversation here is like, because of Jesus' resurrection, like her life mattered, you know, and, and mm -hmm. it's changing the world really. And her parents are even able to like keep walking forward after the worst nightmare that a parent could ever walk through. And it's not because they're awesome and it's not because they have a lot of money and it's not because they can get good counselors. It's literally because the, tr the tomb is empty. I mean, it, everything goes back to that. No doubt. And Blake would even say, this is not the script that we would have written. For and, sure. he, and he would say, even though we've seen God's hand, we would take Mackenzie back in one mm -hmm. second. And, and then he says, but from this day until we meet her again, we will not waste our lives mm -hmm. on the trivial things of this world. Mm -hmm. And then too, heaven for them is not some sort of theological concept. Yeah. It is a reality that they cannot wait to step into. Mm -hmm. Ma'am. Joby, thanks for sharing that story with us. And I, I, I think that, you know, Jesus was here and he did a lot of amazing things on earth, obviously, understatement of the year, Jamie. But he also told a lot of stories through parables. And I think that each of us have a story that has been written by God and uh, we get to live it out. And I think that when we share our stories, like they can just do amazing things. And even just you sharing Mackenzie's story is, is going to do things like it already has in your church, but also through people that are listening to the happy hour. And so I'm just feel super honored that you were willing to bring that here. And Joby also thanks so much. This is, you know, if people are listening live, this is the Wednesday after Easter where probably most of them went to church because it's what you do on Easter. And man, my prayer and hope is just that um, through the conversation that you and I have had today, that they would view the resurrection of Jesus in a, in a, in a new, fresh, and different way than maybe before if they had never actually um, thought through the gravity of what it means for their life. And so thank you so much for coming on and talking about that. 
Well, it is my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Joby, I always ask you what they're reading. Um, what are you reading these days? Um, well, my friend Charles Martin that helped me write this book is coming out with a third part of a trilogy. It started with The Waterkeeper and then The Letter Keeper. And now the third one that's about to come out is called The Record Keeper. And I have an advanced copy of that that I am reading. Oh, I love that. And, uh, have you ever read Charles Martin stuff? Except for Charles Martin and Joby Martin. That's the only thing I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you should. You should start. He's a deacon in our church and a multi-time New York Times bestselling author and one of my best friends on the planet. And um, so they're, I mean, they're fiction books, but you you can see the themes of the scriptures and the gospel all throughout his books. And so they're kind of fun to dive into. Oh, I love that. I love that. And are you a podcast listener? Are you listening to any podcasts these days? I am. I listen to a, about a million Um Ooh, what's your favorite? Oh, I don't know about favorite. I uh, crafting character. I like to listen to that one. Um, okay, what's his name? Steve Carter, I think is his name. Because uh, he not only talks. Oh, the pastor in Arizona. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And because okay. um, he he talks about the you know the the craft of sermon prep and preaching, but he also talks about the character okay. needed of the pastor, and so it just seems to be Ooh, super, I like that super timely. He's got a bunch of great people. Uh, and then I listen to a bunch of hunting podcasts. I love it. Oh, you're a hunter. Uh, okay. A lot. I hunt a lot, a lot, a lot. Well, Joby, thanks so much for coming on The Happy Hour. I really appreciate it. Oh, I've, I've had a good time. Thank you so much. Thanks for all that you do and all the lives that you impact. And I, I can't wait to tell all the girls on staff that I got to do this. They're freaking out. <laughs> you guys, I hope that that conversation was encouraging to you. I know it was for me, uh, especially when we're remembering Uh, what it is that Jesus did for us, which we can remember all the time, but I know it is fresh on our brains because we just came out of Easter Sunday. You guys have another song for you from Austin Stone Worship. And so listen to this song as we think about the resurrection and the hope that we have because of Jesus.
That song was Hope is Awake by Austin Stone Worship. And Austin Stone Worship recently released a four-song EP. You can stream that wherever you listen to music. The song we played on Friday is on there. Plus an instrumental song about Saturday in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then this song, Hope is Awake, and an extra song, Jesus Paid It All. You can get that from Austin Stone Worship wherever you listen to music. Thank you so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to give you, and every opportunity we get to point all of us to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is the number one way that people find out about our show. It's because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that will make us think, they'll make us laugh, and they'll always point us back to Jesus. And come find me other places on the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm over there at Jamie Ivy. And if you've never visited my YouTube page, you're going to want to go there. Have you ever listened to a show and wondered, I wonder what they look like? Well, go find us over there. It's jamieivy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics are by Amaya Savoy Easton. The show is edited by Angie Elkins. And I'm your host every week, Jamie Ivy. And goodness gracious, I love being here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend.